Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 35 of Stomp the Stigma. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm losing my voice a little bit this week, but welcome to the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. Joining me to stomp the stigma today is Chris Proctor. He recently left his job in the corporate world to pursue a career in DJing with his brother, And today we got to talk all about his experience with anxiety and panic attacks, which he did not have until well into his adult life. His first panic attack didn't occur until his early 30s. So we get into what led up to that, what happened, how he managed to get through that. We get into a little bit of the trial and error of coping mechanisms and what helped him through the tough days, what helps him today, what triggers him, and where he's at right now. To start, I want to thank you for joining me. Um... I don't know anything about your story. I just know that you have one, really. Um, and Mel was super excited to introduce me to you. She has nothing but good things to say about you. So I'm super excited That's to great. hear about uh, cool. everything. So cool. you struggled with anxiety and panic attacks. Is that right? Yeah, like anxiety and really bad panic attacks was was where my mental health really like I brought more awareness to my mental health. Um, a bit of backstory, like I grew up with uh, a great family for the most part, like uh, very little stresses growing up, you know, no like physical abuse, no like uh, really big horrific incidents uh, in my life. And it wasn't until I was about like my late 20s or early 30s now, I don't remember the year where there was like one life event that happened where I had a really bad panic attack. And then like, everything just completely changed. So um, it was really weird for a lot of years, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So and I don't know if you want me to kind of go through the details of that. I don't mind doing that too. So did you struggle kind of your whole life with these? No, to be honest, I was a pretty happy, content guy. I mean, I um, like there's nothing really that bothered me or stressed me out growing up. uh, I had great, great family, great friends. when I was younger, like probably before I was like 18, 19, 20, like there, I got bullied a little bit in junior high and high school, not a ton, but I already had, had tons of tough friends around me. I didn't really stick up for myself until I was like in college. Um, but there was literally nothing that would, like my life was pretty ideal. Like I, I have nothing bad to really say about it. I feel super grateful and lucky how I grew up. Um, I think, and, and I'm pretty sure what happened is I was, I was partying really hard for a really long time. And then my brain, I think, just hit a tipping point uh, that I just couldn't go back to. So it was uh, it was interesting, to say the least. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a big debate about kind of that nature versus nurture um, when it comes to mental health. Um, yeah. So do you think that any of it was kind of inside of you before then? Or it was all your environment that contributed to that? That's a great question. I mean, I was just reading something the other day uh, about 
people, when they look at mental health and they diagnose it and they think like their brain can't recover, it's, it's hardwired in your brain. And I would, yeah. I would say that the opposite where I've, I've been able to change my brain and my mental health quite intense. Like I, I can affect it uh, on a regular basis day to day. So, you know, depending on the mental illness, I think there's a lot of things someone can do. So I, I for me, I think there was more my surroundings and my environment that had to do with it than um, being innately within my brain. Because again, I lived, you know, close to 30 years with like zero anxiety or panic attacks, right? And so uh, for me, uh, I would lean towards the environmental piece, yeah. but that's my, my that's my own experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do too. Uh, with my own mental health struggles, I I think I lean more towards the environmental um, side of things. Even though I did struggle, like when I was very young, but I think a lot of it stems from like how I was raised. Yeah, which sounds really bad, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I look back and like my family wasn't perfect by any means, but I, yeah. I wouldn't attribute it to how I grew up. I, I would attribute it more to how I was self-inflicting a lot of damage to my body and my brain. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I usually ask people if they remember kind of the beginning because a lot of people I talk to struggle with their mental health from a young age. So I guess, I don't know. I'm curious with you when that like first panic attack was or if or do you remember kind of the beginning of that and I guess it's that that pivotal experience that you kind of um mentioned earlier yeah yeah uh I definitely remember exactly what happened the, the very first big time I had a, a panic attack I, and looking back there was times that I can look back to and be like oh I think I was really anxious at that point or I think I was close to having a panic attack because I was getting like heart flutters and I was feeling like weird. You can tell my nervous system wasn't good, but I didn't think too much about it and it would go away. But the first big event and then honestly, everything changed after that was uh, I was engaged and I was uh, in Vegas on my stag party uh, with all my best friends and we were partying hard like like we've typically done growing up. We've known each other since like grade five, most of us, right? So we've all partied together forever. And uh, most of us were, and this sounds weird, but I don't know if it's saying good at intoxicating ourselves, but I mean, we could consume a lot of alcohol and other things and keep our composure and stay up all night. And it was never an issue, right? So I think we're two nights in or three nights in in Vegas. And uh, it's like 4 a.m. in the morning. And we all got back to, we had a, a massive suite where there was eight of us staying. And there's this big, tall can of Monster Energy drink there. And I was chugging energy drinks all the time. Like, every single day I was, I was chugging energy drinks. And, and so I, I, I slammed, like, half of it. And uh, about five minutes later, like, a couple of people went to bed and, and different people kind of winding down. And I was having a conversation with one of my friends. And, like, I got super dizzy. And I was like, what is going on? And uh, I looked at him and I was like, man, like, do I look okay? And he's like, no. And then I just kind of like fell forward and almost kind of fainted. And that's never happened to me before. Like I've never really, not even close to having something like that. And then like my heart started racing. I had really bad chest pains. I felt like I was having a stroke. My arms were going numb, like all at the same time. And I was like, what the heck? So super embarrassed but like i'm like you know call like this guy and this guy get him to come over my one buddy's uh his his wife's a naturopathic doctor i mean reaching at anything to help me out um eventually 
called an ambulance in Vegas, which is, you know, it's embarrassing enough as it is. They, they take me downstairs. I'm still like hyperventilating. I can't see, like I can see like stars and stuff like that, but I'm like not really there. Sit down. They test me like, dude, you're fine. I don't know what's going on. I was like, I'm not fine. And uh, they're like, there's literally nothing. Like we can't find anything like vitally wrong with you. We highly recommend you don't go to the hospital. And I was like, fuck that. I feel like absolute, like something's happening to me. Take me to the hospital. They're like, dude, this is going to be so expensive. Like you're fine. We know you're fine. Like, trust us here. Don't go. And I was like, no, take me to the hospital. I was that literally convinced. Um, and what I learned later was, I think they call it more somatic symptoms where when you're having panic attacks, anxiety attacks, where like you physically feel things. And I was convinced something terrible was happening to me. And that lasted for like two hours, which I've never had a panic attack that lasted that long again. But they ended up doing a bunch of tests on me, gave me a bunch of adamant and sent me home. And that was like a $9,000 bill that we got. Um, uh, that Luckily, I had insurance that paid for it. So after that day happened, we all kind of woke up the next day and we're like, what was that? And I was like, I don't know, guys, but I pro- you guys have known my whole life. Never once have I been like that before, ever. So we finished the rest of the trip, took it a, a little bit more easy than usual, and then came home. And then that's when it really started getting bad, like... I've traveled a lot. I've been on airplanes a lot. I've public spoke a lot. I'm very extroverted. I I like being in public, but then when I'd go about to get on a plane or when I'd go out in public or I'd be doing my job, I would just get tingly everywhere and I couldn't see. And then it it would happen like three or four times a week. And so I was like, I couldn't function. And uh, so I started going to the doctor and trying new things. And, uh, it got to the point where like I'd be trying to sleep and like the moment I'd be falling asleep, my nervous system would kind of like shock me awake. And so I was sleeping like two hours a night, uh, having like panic attacks like regularly. And uh, it was terrible. I would never wish it on anybody. Um, and that's when it started affecting my relationship with my fiance too, because I think she got to the point where she was so sick of dealing with it, that things started kind of turning the tide. And then it got really bad. Um, a couple, maybe about six weeks later, we went to Europe. Well, actually, back before that, she had canceled. She had, she had asked to to postpone the wedding after this stuff started happening. I was like, I, we had a great relationship at the time. I didn't really think too much of it, but I was like, this is kind of weird. But we still went on our honeymoon trip uh, anyways uh, with my best friend and his wife, Um and so we all traveled around Europe, uh, went to Greece, um, like a bunch of other places, Ibiza, tons of places. But like every time I got on a plane, I started having a panic attack and I've traveled tons of my life. And I was like, why is this happening? Like, there's nothing triggering me that I can feel, but it's just happening all the time. And to the point where there's one flight where I was like, we, we need to like not take off. Like, I feel like I'm going to have a stroke. And, and my fiance at the time was like, you're like, you're not going to, you're fine. But I was so convinced and my head was pounding so much and like, it felt like something was just going to like pop in my head. And the only thing that would help was like Ativan or Xanax. And so I started taking Ativan like every single day and I ran out like halfway through the trip. And so I, I'm not even exaggerating. The anxiety and the panic attacks got so bad that um, in my mind, every day I woke up, I was like, I'm not going to make it home. I was like, I'm, something's wrong with my brain or, or something. I'm, I'm not going to make it home. And uh, there were some flights I was going to get on, and I was like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And my friends would be like, come on, man. Like, like you can do it. Get on the plane. And, and obviously, I'm still here. Nothing bad happened. But I was so convinced um, that something was wrong with me. 
And so I kept going to the doctor and going to the doctor and they're like, no, it's like, like, and my doctor started to tell me like, you're, you're coming in here too much. Like we've gone through this whole checklist. We've done all these tests. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Um, we need to start treating anxiety for, and like recognizing for what it is. Right. So, so that's kind of how it started. I mean, that's a bit of a rant, but I don't know if there's anything you want to target in there, but that's, I can remember my life changed the day it changed and I've, I've had to deal with my mental health way different ever since. So how did you find out that it was anxiety or a panic attack that you were having? Like, did a doctor tell you that or diagnose you, I guess? It well in the, in the Vegas hospital, uh, the nurse came up and was like, dude, I think you're having a panic attack. Like tell them to stop doing tests. I'm going to give you some Ativan and see how you feel. And then after I started feeling better, he's like, yeah, usually like if the Ativan makes you feel better, it's because it's meant to, to offset anxiety. You know, like I think stop letting them run up these tests because your bill is going to be huge. And so I was like, cool. And then I left the, the um, hospital and then I came back and I was so convinced something's wrong with me. I went to my doctor. I'm not, like not exaggerating 12 or 15 times within like three or four months and was like, this is how I feel. It happened again. I almost fainted. Like I'd, I'd start like hyperventilating and crying like out of nowhere, like the weirdest shit would happen. Um, and it was weird for me because like, I think leading up to that, especially the people I work with, like never, ever, ever expected anything like that to ever happen. And so people started to, to trip out about it. So, so yeah, the, the doctor just like started doing all these tests, narrowing a bunch of things down. It was like, you've just got a really bad anxiety problem that we need to work through together. So, wow. So your life took just a complete like 180. Totally. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, and it's still so like every week, like I'm way better at dealing with it now, but, um, there's a couple of years there that were really tough. So like after like the, the honeymoon trip, whatever came back a couple months later, uh, my fiance and I split and, and that was super unexpected too. So then the couple weeks and months after that, I was super rough. Um, and honestly, like I've, I've thought back about this too, uh, when you see people that go through these things and more negative things happen to them. Like they'll take their own life or like other things. Like there's so many other negative things that can happen that didn't happen to me. And I, I can't express enough about how much my family and my friends, like my best friends, like really um, were, were there for me in the weirdest situations. Like when I was like, I got so weird sometimes where I'd be like laying in bed about to have a panic attack. I'd call my best friend. They lived in building. I'd be like, dude, I'm not well. Will you come sit with me for a bit? And he'd be like, okay. And he would just come up and just sit with me for like 50 minutes. I'm going to be like, okay, I feel better now. Be like, okay, buddy, see you later. And then when you leave, I'd be, I'd feel so dumb. But like, there's a, a couple friends in my whole family that were just like, no matter what, they would just accept it. When a lot of people just blew it off and was like, they just thought I was weird. And that, that was when I say like I was really weird, that's, that was probably for like a solid three years where mm -hmm. I put some people in some awkward situations. Yeah. I also need to shout out like the company I was working for too was amazing. The leaders I had and how understanding they were and the, the culture of understanding mental health and supporting it uh, was truly amazing. Like, so, so I, I struggled so bad, even with the best support systems around me, I can't imagine what other people that don't have all these things line up for them in a lucky way have to go through. I yeah. guess is my point. So Yeah, that's amazing. Was it hard for you 
to kind of explain like what was happening to you and what you were going through to your friends and family when I guess you're kind of understand trying to understand what you're going through yourself and then they're seeing you in this whole other way because it didn't hit you until way later in life than most people like was that hard for you to explain to them and for them to understand what was happening yeah I mean at first there was like a lot of embarrassment so I didn't know what to tell people or how much to tell people and I would I would kind of test the waters with people like not that I needed to test the friendship or the relationship but I'd like talk about it a little bit then you can immediately kind of see is someone genuinely authentically interested and like willing to listen and understand or are they not and there's you can tell pretty quickly in a conversation if someone's going to engage you in, in a conversation that's not exactly comfortable or if they'd rather kind of you know find ways to turn that conversation into something different so I started to find people that I trusted and uh, it would make me feel a lot better talking about these things with the people that I trusted too. So there are some great leaders um, in the company I work for uh, a handful of my best friends um, and my, and my family was great too. But, but there was people that I, I, I realized quickly I couldn't talk about it too as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some people just can't handle, I guess like the heaviness of it. And I think that's the same for me. You kind of test the waters a little bit to see how they feel. And then maybe you just don't have that kind of a friendship with them. You know, like maybe it's not, it doesn't have to change your friendship at all or make it any less like meaningful. It's just, you don't turn to them for those kinds of things. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think to give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt, like uh, I think it takes some knowledge and some training sometimes to be able to handle those conversations. And mm-hmm. I think some people just didn't know what to say or do. It's not that they, they didn't want to help yeah. me. It's like, they just don't know how, right. Yeah. So, which is totally fair. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think in recent years, it's gotten a lot better about like people talking about it. But before that, I think people that have no experience with it just have no idea how to even handle that or how to even start. Yeah. Know? A hundred percent. Yeah. So how many or how long ago did this happen to you? Uh, I got to, if I should, I should know the dates better. Again, my memory is going with, again, my, my parting is definitely taking my memory to a whole new low level, but um, I'm going to say like, I'm um, 39 in October. I think that was probably when I was between 30 and 32. Okay. So not that early, early thirties. Yeah. And again, the first like two to three years were terrible. I did not handle it very well. Yeah. Um, and I had to learn to and, and find what things worked for me and what things didn't and what things triggered really bad. Well, yeah, exactly. This is something that's brand new to you. You kind of have to figure out what's going on in the first place and then what helps you and what like what gets you through that. Yeah. And like, I'll use an example too, of like how people can spiral out of control. Like I found at first, um, cause I, I worked, uh, at a bank for, uh, I just left after 13 years of being there, uh, to, con- to continue with my business with my brother. Like I was, I was working all the time and then I was working on the weekends all the time in a party environment. And, and I found as soon as I got anxious, I would 
and be like, yeah, I got to do like a couple shots. So I got to like chug a couple beers because the alcohol in the, in the moment would depress it. Mm-hmm. And then what I didn't realize is then when you're hung over the next day, your anxiety is three times worse, four times worse. And then you're, I started drinking in the morning, like on the weekends. Like I would, yeah. I was always good at not letting the parting affect my weekday life. But on, if, like, if I was out on a Friday night, I'd work all day. I'd change. I'd go DJ all night for Friday. You know, if I was getting anxious, I would drink more than usual. And the next morning, I'd feel hungover. The first thing I would do is crack a drink. So I'd be drinking literally all day Saturday. Yeah. And then we DJ Saturday night. And then Sunday, I'm feeling terrible. And then I'm drinking Sunday. And then Monday, I'm feeling like absolute shit. But I can't drink because I got to work. And uh, I like that spiral was something I had to like. I thought it was helping, but it wasn't helping. And then it made me worse. And then I had to find ways to get out of that as well. I also found like Ativan and Xanax, if you take it too many days in a row, it makes it way worse too. So I was like, okay, this is helping. It's helping me sleep. The more sleep I get, the less anxious I am. But then after three or four days of taking Ativan in a row, it's like the weirdest shit would go through my head. Like I would, I'd get like so insanely mega depressed and I've never been really depressed in my life. I've, I've been very grateful and happy with my life. Um, and so again, this like trial and error of like, okay, this is working. No shit. That makes it way worse. Okay. This is working. And it's like, it comes down to like sleep, diet and exercise. And then when it, when I really figured it out, it was like, I got to just eat well, sleep well, keep exercising. Don't drink, don't party. You know, it's like all this shit that everyone's been telling me my whole life, but that's just for me. So I don't know. No, that's fair. So do you still drink now? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Way less than I used to though. You just know how to kind of handle that. I kind of have to now. Like now it's my my job, my career is my business and it's DJing, music production. So we're literally around alcohol all the time. And so I left my previous career, um, which I can always go back to if I need to. But I left that being like, I'm really committing to this. Yeah. If I'm partying all the time, that's not a commitment in my mind. Yeah. So it's funny when I look back, like, there was a lot of years where I was partying so hard on the weekends and no one really knew about it in the weekdays. I could handle it because I was younger, whatever. And then as I got older and as our business and our brand got more relevant um, and I was partying a bit less, a lot of people like if I, if I wasn't feeling well or people or if I was sick, people would just be like, oh, you're probably hung over. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah. And, and so I had to even drink and party less to make sure that I wasn't perceived as doing that in my day job. And so I've kind of got to this point now where like, yeah, like I'll, I'll still drink, but I'll pick and choose my times. And, and I, and I know like when to stop a lot better too. Yeah. And not to say that I haven't had my throwaway nights still. Cause I, I still have had some throwaway nights that you're just like, shit, the next morning you're just not, you're not doing, you're not doing anything. So I've got a lot of fun people in my life too. It's, it's hard. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. But for a long time, that was like a straight up addiction issue of like drinking so much and doing other things so much uh, on the weekends that it was like, you're just doing it every single weekend over and over and over again. And that's what you're craving throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really kills your brain, the, the chemical balances and, and how you think about yourself and what you're doing and, and regret of, of how you acted and behaved and all these negative things creep in your brain to make it worse. And so the big, that was one of the biggest things I had to learn was like the partying was the number one contributor to it that I had to, to really figure out. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't kind of shied away from the partying 
um, since you know that's kind of what contributed to your anxiety and panic attacks in the first place? Yeah, it's do I do I wish I could uh, be completely sober all the time? Like I think about that a lot too. Yeah. Um, and before when I was DJing, like I would always drink when I was DJing, no matter where I was or whatever. Got a bar tab. People bring you shots. Uh, like people want to party with you all the time. I was like all the time. Yeah. Now I very rarely drink when I DJ. Um, maybe like super big nights or when like there's a ton of people around or whatever. But um, yeah, and I mean when I say drink now, it's like have a couple beers watching a UFC event or like if you're in Vegas, you know you're you're drinking during the day, walking around. Um, not near what I was in before. So before, like full disclosure, I would on a weekend of a Friday Saturday night, uh, me and some of my friends could easily consume. 40, 50 ounces of alcohol in those two days, like no problem among tons of other shit that's going on too. Yeah. Uh, now when that's like, you know, four or five or six drinks to me, that's significant progress. Um, so yeah. Wow. That's a, wow. That's a big change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest within my group of friends, I'm, I'm shocked this hasn't happened to more people and that. And it kind of brings it back to like, I think everyone's just their own unique person and, and mental health can affect tons of different people in tons of different ways. Um, and I, I love the, the title of this podcast uh, because it's it's really like squashing uh, so many preconceived notions of what mental health issues are yeah. uh, because it's different for everybody. And, and I love that people can now more comfortably tell their story and find different ways to cope. Like, uh, I don't know if this is a unique story or not, uh, with the more somatic symptoms, like I've, I've been convinced I'm having a heart attack. I've been convinced I'm having a stroke, um, like just hyperventilating and and stuff like that, where a lot of people say their panic attacks are just about like, they'll start thinking about money issues or whatever, and they'll get really nervous and whatever. It's different. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Oh yeah. Everybody's experience is different, but then there's so many similarities. I love listening to everybody's stories and just hearing kind of what they've been through and how they've, they've kind of changed or adapted to it but everyone's is different but similar at the same time it's hard to explain yeah that makes sense so since you've gone through the these i guess i don't know pivotal life events has your everyday life changed because of that or like did you have to change certain aspects of your life because of that yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, the the partying was the biggest one. Um, the next biggest one I struggled with was just sleeping normally during the week. Um, I find now, if I go one or two days without a good sleep, then I'm super anxious on the brink of a panic attack. I'm dumb as shit. Like I I can't. I got no cognition. I'm like a zombie, and then that just yeah, it spirals from there. So uh, again, sleep diet and exercise to me really helps and I've been like decently healthy my whole life Uh, I've never been completely out of control with my diet and exercise I've I've stayed for my age I think in a pretty good range but if I let it go for a week I can feel it in my brain and I can feel it in my chest and uh, it brings on other things like I feel like if I if I don't sleep and I eat like crap and I'm not exercising I'm thinking about more negative things. Um, I'm more sloppy in my day. Like I'll just I'll I'll waste 15 minutes watching a video when I when I typically been energetic and working. You know, so it's it's a combination of those three things that I've I really have to focus. I'm like playing this game with myself all like every single day and every single week. 
of like, what am I doing and where's my anxiety levels at every single day? Like, how did I sleep? How did I eat? You know, like all, all this different stuff that, again, for the first 30 years of my life, never thought about it once. I just kind of cruised through life being this happy dude, like partying all the time, having a great time with everybody. And then everything changed. Now it's like I got to micromanage myself on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am the exact same way. Sleep, diet, and exercise are huge for me. Sleep, especially. Yeah. I My coworkers talk about all the time, like, getting five hours of sleep, six hours of sleep. And I'm like, if I did that, I would not be able to function. Like, I totally. I need way more than that. And I know, I know that I need that. Otherwise, I'm a disaster. Yeah. Totally, yeah. I went, like, so long not caring about sleep, being like, oh, I can wake up and do anything still, like, pretty smart guy, I can figure it out, kind of whatever, five or six hours sleep, no problem, but then again, when the panic attacks started happening, not a chance, go a couple hours, or a couple nights, five or six hours of sleep, I'm not doing well, and so I gotta, like, find ways to really shut down. I, I read before bed way more now, which helps myself. Yeah. Something that sounds super simple that a lot of people do anyways, but I never was doing that before. Uh, if I read before I go to bed, I sleep way better. And that's really helped. I just crushed through all uh, seven Harry Potter books um, from December to May or something of this year. And I'd never read them before. So that was pretty cool. That got me reading again. And then so, yeah. Wow. Good times. That's a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, those, they're such good books. <laughs> okay, is there something or is there anything that you do, I guess, differently because of your anxiety and panic attacks today compared to like the average person that doesn't struggle with that? Is there anything different about your life that you have to do differently in order to like manage that? Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm really in my own head all the time yeah. when I wasn't really before. Um, so doing like a lot of breathing exercises and monitoring my heart rate. I know that sounds really weird. Uh, I felt bad. Like I just went on a trip with a buddy um, a couple months ago and I kept checking my watch because I was super anxious seeing where my heart rate was at. And he was like, dude, don't you know what time it is yet? Like you checked your watch like 13 times in the last couple minutes. So I was like, oh man, it's because like checking my heart rate. Right. And then, <laughs> so I, I do weird stuff like that, but um I think now too, it's like, uh, before I'd always have my phone so that it would wake me up just in case something happened in the middle of the night. And, you know, after a decade of having a phone, nothing's really happened. So I turn off my notifications now. I don't have my phone by me when I'm going to bed, all these different things. So yeah, like breathing, exercising, uh, doing different things like, you know, boxing, love hitting pads, uh, sparring, uh, running a little bit, doing a bit of weight, um, switching up throughout the week. I don't smoke anything anymore. Like before I would have like the occasional cigarette or vape or whatever, or, or smoke some weed here and there. And like that just sets me off. I get super anxious there, which is good. I don't smoke anything anymore. What else? I don't know. I'm just super aware of like how I feel and who I'm around and what my surroundings are. I find myself looking for exit strategies a lot now too. Like where's a place where I could go hide for five or 10 minutes and breathe or just calm myself like I will um a lot of times I'll go find like a dark space where no one's around and I'll close my eyes and I'll cover my ears and kind of breathe it out and then get myself back and like lower my anxiety levels a bit go back in public which a lot of people don't know that I do um but that actually helps a lot like what I've learned about anxiety or or what my experience with anxiety is is kind of like 
your brain can only combat so much st- stimulation. And so if you consider it like a, a big cup or whatever, and you're getting stimulated by different things, auditory, visual, whatever. And then when the cup's full, the cup's full. Mm-hmm. If it spills over, you're going to feel it and it's going to affect you in an anxiety type way, whether it's a panic attack or, or whatever. And so if I just limit everything that's stimulating me, get dark and quiet and breathe, then I can kind of lower that. But then I know I'm like right at the top. So it's like, then I got to realize like if it's too loud in here, I got to go. Um, if there's too many people ask me questions and my chest is getting tight, I got to jet out, go for a walk. Um, and those types of things I still do all the time. Um, but I kind of, I'm better at hiding it now. Before I'd be like in the middle of a group being like, oh guys, I don't feel good. And now I just kind of like go in the bathroom and I'll come back 50 minutes later and I'll be better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that idea a lot. That's a good thing. It helps a ton. Mm-hmm. I used to go to work all the time, like at the one of the locations I was at, it had a completely dark room that you could lock from the inside. And uh, if I was having a boat have a panic attack or had bad anxiety, I would just go in there, lock the door, sit in the ground, close my eyes, cover my ears until I felt better, get up, go back to work. Wow. All, it happened all the time. Can I ask if you are taking medication now? So... Yeah, that, and that's totally fine. Um, I had an Ativan prescription for a long time, and uh, my doctor was smart about it. At the time, I was pissed because they would only prescribe me like 10 pills a month, or 10, 10 milligrams a month in one milligram pills. We started in 0.5s, and then we got to one milligram pills. And then, and for anyone that does, like Ativan, Lorazepam, I think Lorazepam is the more technical term for it. Ativan is the, like, the retail term. Um, and I was taking those, but I was running out super quick. I didn't really realize what they were doing, but I knew I knew they made me feel better. So I loved them, uh, which changed on the road. After my doctor wouldn't prescribe me too much Ativan, um, I could just find Xanax uh, within the city, mm-hmm. if you want to call it black market, whatever you want to call it. I could just buy as much Xanax as I wanted. So then I got addicted to Xanax for probably uh, almost two years, close to two years, where I was taking like not a ton, but every single day to go to sleep. And that's when I really started to notice my personality changing and getting a lot of depression. And then I'd be going to my doctor, getting as much Ativan as I could get prescribed, also having a ton of Xanax, and I was just doing it every single day. It got to a point where it was making me like, I'm not going to say suicidal, but there was things going through my mind that mm-hmm. I never would have dreamed that I would ever think to, to get rid of the state that I was in or the worries that I was going through. And then I just there's a couple people around me that were like, you're taking way too much of this shit. You got to stop. And uh, I could tell I was getting weird too. So I I found a way to just kind of like wean off it. And I wasn't doing it for a while. Um, But, but what it was really good for is it would give me full night's sleep where I wasn't waking up in the middle of the night and I was getting like seven, eight, nine hours of sleep. So that was the next problem I had to tackle was how do I get to sleep? Because I've never been a good sleeper my whole life. So then, um, and it's kind of controversial, but whatever. We've tried a bit of – so I've got a new doctor now. She's got the same um, approach to Ativan and Xanax as my previous doctor. Like, if you give someone too much, they're going to get super depressed, or some people get super depressed and suicidal, so let's not overdo it. So I got a small prescription for Ativan that I actually don't have any right now. I haven't refilled it for about a month. Um, uh, but she And we went through different sleeping pills, like Ambien and other shit, but most of them wouldn't work. I'd actually get more anxious when I took some of these sleeping pills. So we just would try one, change it up, try one, change it up. 
And so now, uh, I can't remember what it's actually called, the, the retail name is Syroquil. It's actually for uh, schizophrenics in very high doses um, that they give to people that are having like schizophrenic attacks. At a super low dose, it makes me perfectly enough drowsy to go to sleep. And so as far as medication is concerned, I take like, uh, I think they're maybe 50 milligrams or I can't remember what the actual dose, they're super small dose. And then I just kind of get sleepy, fall asleep, have a good sleep all night. I'm drowsy in the morning, I'm more drowsy than if I didn't take it. But uh, I slept well. If I go exercise or have a coffee or something, then I'm right back to normal and I function. So my next step is like, I don't want to have any drugs around. I want to be able to sleep every single night uh, and not be anxious. But to me, that's like asking a lot. So yeah, yeah. Do you think that anxiety and panic attacks is something that you are going to have to deal with for the rest of your life or do you think that's going to change like you've lived you lived what 30 years without it do you think you'll ever get back to that again or do you think that's something that you'll have forever that's super tough I think about this a lot and actually me and my friends were talking about this the other day because we're talking about two me and two my best friends are talking about like the progression of how bad and weird I was into becoming where I consider I'm I'm a lot more normal now but i still have to deal with it i've always thought of like i to me i'm more i would like to say it this way i'm even though i'm not a scientist at all i just read shit on the internet but for me i think it's more scientific about like what i've done to my brain what the chemical imbalances are all that kind of stuff the sleep deprivation the diet stuff like that so to me i think if i can be disciplined in my life i can turn it around where i don't have to deal with those things down the road at least i'm hoping that Mm -hmm. is not permanent Am I totally prepared to have this ongoing daily battle with myself? I mean, I have to be or else I'm going to get worse again. So I'm uh, cautiously optimistic that I'm slowly getting better and better. And I actually have felt better the last couple months. I've had a few really bad episodes actually that I hadn't had for a while. But day to day, I do feel better now. So better than I was before. Definitely not back to to where I was pre 30. That's for sure. So that's awesome. Has the pandemic uh, affected your anxiety at all? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, it did. I mean, a lot of people don't believe that there's like truly extroverted people out there that enjoy being around people. But I am like I (laughs) when I go out and I see people, uh, or I'm in crowds, I get more energy and I'm more excited. I'm I'm happy. Um, I live in a, a pretty small condo. Uh, my my background's blurred because my partner's moving in here soon and I'm purging stuff. I've got boxes everywhere and stuff. There's like nowhere to move in here. So I was working from home and my business was like, you know, making music and stuff like that and DJing. We couldn't go out and DJ clubs were all closed. Um, so we're doing like live streams is the most we'd ever do, me and my brother. So I literally sat here by myself all the time. And for me, that was like dreadful. So a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to join this video conference. All I do is video conference all day. I'm like, thank God I can see other people at least through a screen um, because I'm driving myself nuts here. And uh, there was a lot of things like, you know, we can't go to the gym. Like a lot of the regulations and restrictions and stuff, the way our government handled it, very much a personal opinion here, did not agree with most of the shit that they were doing. So it was even angering me more. Um, it was like illegal for me to run my business as an entertainment industry. We literally weren't allowed to go DJ anywhere because clubs weren't open, lounges weren't open, restaurants weren't open. Um, 
it was the weirdest shit. Like the, the malls are open, but we can't go play yeah. and make an income in a lounge with people wearing masks. It was the dumbest shit ever. It drove me nuts. Don't even want to think about it anymore. But anyways, yeah, it totally did. And I can, I see now, uh, it's kind of interesting. Like I was like, Oh, maybe I'm going to sell my condo and I'll get a bigger place. Or when me and my partner move in together, we'll just rent this out, kind of do whatever. Uh, it looks like all the condo prices downtown are going down because people are fire selling them to go get more space because of pandemic, like shit the whole time. And uh, yeah, I totally get it. So to answer your question, long-winded answer, but yeah, it totally made it worse. Um, and that day-to-day battle was like, if I w- wasn't sleeping well or if I was here alone and I'd taken too much out of Xanax and I was super depressed and there's no one around, it's like, those are tough times. And again, like everything around me was in a great place. I've got nothing else to blame it on than myself. It, you know, the, well, that's how I view it. Like friends, I have a, a supportive friend system, supportive family. Um, my brother's like my absolute best friend. We'd see each other and talk to each other every single day. Um, like everything around me, but the company I was working for, so supportive. And I still struggled so much, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I think I... I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, I'm so glad that I didn't have to work from home this past year or I couldn't work from home uh, because I would have gone crazy. I live by myself. And if I had to just sit here alone all day, every day, I, I don't think I could handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what triggers you now? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's, there's sometimes where I, f- I feel out of nowhere. I'm like, what the heck is happening? Yeah. Like I hadn't video, I used a video conference for a living. And before this, like, like four minutes to the hour, I was like, why am I out of breath? And I was like, fuck, like, it, like mm. I haven't done anything like this before. So I started getting a bit anxious, but then when your face popped up, I immediately just went away. Um, and you made me feel super comfortable too, uh, which was awesome. And I appreciate, um, there, there is like, yeah, there's time. Like, again, if, if I'm partying or with my friends and I'm going a bit too hard, I'll feel it immediately. So like the toxic consumption of things is the number one thing that triggers it. Mm-hmm. Um, lack of sleep is the second, I think most for sure. And then um, what else lately have I had to deal with? I find too, like too much, like if I spend too much time with headphones on and with loud music, I, uh, it starts to really wear on me too, where I start to get really anxious and like, I'll, I'll be working because, like, the DJ music production thing, um, we're, we don't have enough money to build out this glorious, perfectly acoustically built studio. So we bought really nice headphones. So we're producing music in headphones. We're finding new music in headphones. We're practicing DJing in headphones, and we're DJing in headphones. If I spend too much time on my headphones, then I will start, like, I'll get shorter breath. Um, my, my brain will start feeling, like, it's the weirdest feeling ever, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this or heard anyone experience this before, but I, I, I would feel like my brain was going to literally explode. Like, like it was going to just pop, have a stroke, die. And, and that's the, the feeling I get if I get to overstimulate it in those areas. It's weird too. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but at the beginning of my, I say my anxiety journey or my anxiety career, it was all, brain oriented I could feel it like almost like a migraine like I, I felt like I was gonna have a stroke and die all the time I'm convinced of it and then I kind of got into my arms where like my arms would go numb and my brain and I would be I'd feel super weird 
that's evolved now where it's less in my brain and now it's more my chest. My chest gets tight. I check my heart rate all the time. I'm like, how does this really change? And then I go to, to the doctor and she, yeah, like your bite, your, your, all your main statistics that we look at, like blood pressure, heart rate, all that kind of stuff is in like ideal range. Like you're fine. And I'm like, well, why is my anxiety changing the way I feel about it? I like, it's so confusing and it drives me nuts to be honest. Cause, cause if, it represents itself in a different way Then I'm like, is this an actual thing wrong with me or is this my anxiety just playing tricks on me again? So I got to go through the same journey over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good point. Um, sometimes my mental health just kind of pops up out of nowhere too, but I think sometimes it's internal triggers as well. So like you said, lack of sleep, um, the diet and exercise are a big part of it. So things within your own self, can trigger you without totally. kind of like the external uh, influences. Yeah. And one thing I found with a lot of people that struggle with anxiety is crowds bother them. But with you, you seem like you feed off of crowds and you get your energy off of like other people. So do crowds affect your anxiety as well? Or is that different for you? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm definitely an outlier there where – if I'm by myself too often or in my own head too often, that's when my anxiety gets the worst. If I immediately go see somebody or go outside or go just, I don't even need to know anybody. Just yeah. go be around other people. It alleviates itself almost instantly. There is times, you know, if I'm partying too hard and I'm at a party or at a club or just around too many people and it's the partying that's making it worse, then I definitely got to get out of there. And that's, but that's more self-inflicted. That's that's me doing that to me. If I'm if I'm completely sober, then yeah, I go see people. Like mm-hmm. I'll go for a walk or I'll go for a run, and I'll find the busiest place I can run um, to get my heart rate going, to get blood pumping into my brain, and then to see other people, and then I'm I'm fine. So it's weird. Uh, like mm-hmm. cause everyone else I talked to is like, if I see other people, like the social anxiety piece is like their big thing that that they deal with. For me, I'm like, put me around people and I'll be fine. Yeah. (laughs) So weird. We are very similar. I get the same way. And I was talking to another girl a few weeks ago um, and she said the exact same thing. When she gets into her own head, all she has to do is like go downtown and walk around and she doesn't have to know anybody, but as long as she's around other people, then it, it helps so much. And you're just thinking about, you're like people watching or thinking about other things and not in your own head because I get like that too especially at work when I'm yeah. working by myself I just I get in my head and I think about stupid shit yeah totally and, <laughs> and have you found like if you can distract your brain away from how you feel then it just goes yeah. away sometimes yeah yeah and I'm like why why is it that easy but it's really not that easy <laughs> you know yeah it, it shouldn't I, be that easy but I've also felt too, and this this is a little bit embarrassing, but I'm like, if I go put myself in front of other people and I actually do have a stroke or a heart attack, someone someone will be there to help me. You know, if I'm feeling that anxious, then I'm like, put me in a situation where someone can at least like call an ambulance. If I'm sitting here in my own condo and something bad happens, no one can do shit. So, you know, <laughs> it's weird. Point. It's weird, but like that's I've had that thought go through my head a million times. That's a very good point. <laughs> You mentioned kind of removing yourself from situations and um, sitting in the dark and and covering your ears and breathing and everything to kind of cope in those moments. Um, Have your coping mechanisms changed 
over time as you've kind of learned what's happening and learned how to manage that? Yeah, 100%. And like to, to kind of recap where I was at the beginning, I was like, drink more, feel better. And then I was like, that doesn't work. Take more Advan, take more prescription pills and you feel better. That And that didn't work. That was my coping mechanisms at first was like, take some easy shit and consume it and make me feel better. It doesn't work. Then I had to evolve into, I tried counseling. Counseling didn't work for me. A lot of people said that it did. I immediately didn't enjoy it at all. Um, so I tried counseling. Um, then I really started doing like meditation and breathing exercises. I actually went on like a mental health retreat to a place called the Hoffman Institute, which I don't know if anyone's heard of it before. I think it's more for like trauma victims or people that have had very terrible upbringings um, and have very um, significant parental issues. But I was recommended to and actually an ex-spouse of mine or ex-girlfriend to go. Um, and it really changed my perspective on things too. The breathing exercises, the meditation, um, the positive self-talk. And I learned so many things through here. I, even though I felt bad, I, was, I wasn't nearly as traumatized as a lot of the stories I heard there. A lot of the things that they taught me that they tell people to deal with, like their, their issues with their parents or the trauma they've gone to, also worked for me and my anxiety, which mm -hmm. was super cool. So, uh, now that's what I've learned even more that like before I'd ever really thought about my sleep and then I started thinking about my sleep and now the sleep is my number one priority. If I had to choose sleep diet or exercise, I'd have to choose sleep. Uh, not that you want to rank, really stack rank those cause you need them all, but, um, the sleeping uh, and the breathing. And again, like I've got to a point now where again, the, the shutting everything out, if I need to, like it, you know what I find like the, the best thing about the coping mechanisms, I think, is finding what triggered you and identifying it and then finding what is like the counterbalance to it. So like I said before, like if I'm parting too hard, I'm in a too loud of a, a spot, then I got there's one coping me mechanism I'll have. If I'm just cooped up and all of a sudden uh, my chest is tight or whatever, I'll go outside and run. Um, if I'm about to have a panic attack and I don't have Ativan or something around me, I'll go in a room, I'll hide and I'll put my hands. You know, It's like trying things and don't. You're going to hear some weird shit from people be like, try this, try this, try this. Like, try it. Yeah. See what works. See what works in different situations. Remember that and do it over and over again, right? And then back to like you've, you've asked a lot of good questions about what triggered this or trigger points. That is, I think, the most important thing to, to find coping mechanisms is understanding what is actually triggering you or your brain to, to get into this undesired state. That's true. Because what could be triggering you or it could be different things I think your coping mechanism or what helps you get through that could be different depending on what is triggering you yeah that's a good point I've never really thought about that before yeah it's all for me it's been different all the time you know yeah so it, it's also I think and I don't know if you've had this experience too is like when you're starting to get really anxious or you have an anxiety or a panic attack you kind of know that like something in your your life it's off either you're redlining you're working too hard you're not sleeping enough there's got it there's got to be a reason right I, I really truly believe this doesn't just happen for no reason there's something so mm -hmm. it's like a good reminder to be taking care of yourself and to be looking oh maybe i oh shit i didn't get good sleeps for last three nights i gotta go back and make sure i get sleep or i haven't worked out for a week and a half yeah maybe that's what it is and then you kind of get back in these good routines and so yeah how, does that, how about the kickboxing, the boxing for you? Like, how does that, I, that really driving to see Ty, like <laughs> I get anxious cause I'm like, shit, like, you know, he, 
there's not a single workout that I've I've had off with him. He pushes me so hard, but yeah. perfectly to let me doesn't push me where I'm like broken, but he pushes me where it's never easy. But then I leave there feeling so good. Like yeah. boxing to me has been a great outlet. I it's funny you say that because on my way there, I get so nervous, <laughs> but also so excited because I love yeah. it. But then, yeah. yeah, once I'm there, like, I know he's going to kick my ass. I know it's going to be so hard. Yeah. But then afterwards, you feel so good every single time. Like, oh, he's so good. Big shout out to Ty. I, I like, I couldn't even imagine myself getting uh, or be, being trained by anybody else, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and his philosophy about it's about, like, the longevity and the injury prevention and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cardio, also getting strong. Um, and he, he's super knowledgeable. Uh, he teaches you good technique. You're learning good combos, punching power. You learn in that hour, you're doing so many things and your brain just not on anything else. You walk out of there and you're like, oh man, I feel great. Yeah. It's this, this break where you get to just focus on the exercise or your body or whatever. And you're not thinking about yeah. anything else. And it's just, oh, it's perfect. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love, love it. it. I do want to plug your new company or this company that you left your previous job for. So we're called, uh, our brand is called Red Dynasty. Our company is called Red Dynasty Entertainment Corporation. Um, we're three years old, three and a half years old now. Uh, we, my brother and I just started really loving DJing and then we're just doing it as a hobby on weekends. Um, got asked to play a corporate gig at the corporate gig. Got asked to play in the club. And then it just skyrocketed from there. So once we knew that we could make some money at it, we started up our own corporation and uh, we've just been like slowly building that brand out. And then a um, uh, huge shout out to my, to my brother. He's worked so hard at it. He quit his job a long time ago to do this. And uh, a lot of people ask me like, why did you, why did you like leave your career to go do this? And there's, I got a lot of pushback from it. You know, most of my close friends mm -hmm. congratulated me, but you know, something I can always go back to for me, there wasn't near as much risk as anyone else thought there was. But uh, the, the the turning point to me was really how much he was taking it serious. And I was like, if, if I take it as serious as he is, put the same effort that he is, then we can really do something here. So yeah. we do uh, our favorite thing is is uh, club DJing. So we've got a residency at a club uh, called Sabrosa in town here. Um, and also a couple other places. We've got a, a new one at a place called Lately on Sundays. So bros, I were Saturdays. This week we're on uh, a patio downtown called the Guild, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we love the DJing. Um, our main goal is music production. So we do like house music and club music production. And uh, we, yeah, we're trying to learn how to produce world-class music and, and build a global brand that way. So um, best way to follow us is Instagram at the Red Dynasty. And uh, that'd be my big plug for now. <laughs> All the other links are from are on there, so it's easy. That's awesome. Those are major venues in Calgary. Yeah, Sabrosa, our relationship with uh, Oliver Bonaccini owns uh, Sabrosa and the Guild. Our relationship with them yeah. is close to five years now. Like before we even made it a company, we were with them. And they've, they're a great company. Great shout out to them and how they run their business. Uh, they're awesome to deal with and do business with. And we really value solid business relationships with people over like we're not trying to just go get all the different gigs that we possibly can and and to be honest we haven't really prioritized networking across the city we've we found some really good partners 
And we like to be loyal to those partners and build our brands together. And they've been awesome. They've been incredible. So, Wow. That's so exciting. I'm so excited for you. Sub Rosa is where like all the celebrities go. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Usually we don't see a lot of that stuff. Like, uh, we'll be DJing and then at the end of the night service will be like, Oh, this person was here. This hockey team was here, whatever. We don't, we don't see it as much as <laughs> you think. Um, we're usually surrounded by our friends, just partying and having a good time, but it's a super fun place. Has yeah. music played a role in helping your anxiety? Like, do you ever use that as a coping mechanism? Yeah. You know what? Uh, that's a super good question. And, and it definitely does. Like I've been loving music my whole life. I actually didn't even listen to electronic music until I was probably 30 or 31. I was always listening to like punk and heavy metal and hardcore and stuff like that growing up. Um, and then I made a complete change when I started to DJ because I loved house music and electronic music. Um, I can find different songs or different things that will deal with different emotions or different things that I'm dealing with all the time. Or I think one way to put it is, is like music like fuels my life a lot. So if I'm going to go clean, I will never do that without listening to music. If I don't have headphones or speakers around, I just won't clean. So, and same with like exercise. Like if I'm not working out with Ty or um, have like a group setting, if I'm working out by myself, I have headphones or I go home. Like that's like, <laughs> so music like really fuels me in, in a way that it helps me deal with my anxiety in, in many different ways. But yeah, I'm obsessed with music. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. And, and I, I'm trying to learn as much about it as I can. Um, starting to learn how to play instruments. And yeah, it's just, it, it 100% does. Yeah, that's awesome. The effect music can peep, that it can have on people in their brain is, it's so crazy to me how sound can invoke mo- emotion. It's, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I oh, 100%. I interviewed a couple music therapists on the podcast that talk about how music kind of affects your brain and your emotions and just well every part of your brain and it's so interesting to me cool was it one of these podcasts yeah oh cool i'll go check that out then yeah that's nice yeah you should definitely go back and listen to it i think you'd like it cool um okay i just have one more question for you that i ask every single guest that comes on the podcast um, so is there a stigma or a misconception surrounding mental health that bothers you the most or that you hear most often, but isn't true? You know what? I'm going to use the most recent example we kind of touched on before is that like, as soon as someone's mentally ill, like there's, there's no turning back yeah. or that it's yeah. like their brains like that forever. And I am literal living proof that that is not true. And I've, I'm not exaggerating when I like my personality and my well-being got so bad and so weird in so many ways um, and I know people were viewing me in a different way than they were before and I've pulled myself out of that and um, I think I, I would just want anyone to know that like positive change can happen you know I'm not a doctor I'm not a scientist I don't know exactly the the physical reasons behind every mental illness and I'll never act like I do but from what I've seen and what I've experienced, um, things can get better. And the only other thing I will say is like, and this is most of the times when I get emotional about it, it's when I talk about the support systems, it's like a lot of people say just one interaction or, or five minutes out of your time can really help someone. It really genuinely can. And so if someone is off spending a bit more time with them or asking some good questions and, and being like an authentic 
person in front of them and, and really engaging with them if they're asking for help means so much. And so I would just encourage people to just spread the love a little bit, you know? So Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's a big one. Okay, well, that is all the questions that I had for you. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't? I don't know. I mean, I was expecting to kind of have to go in the gritty details a bit more. I'm, I'm kind of happy we didn't. I'm, I'm hoping that yeah. there was some something good that can come out of this that other people can listen to. Um, I can't stress enough, diet, sleep, and exercise. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's uh, It's crazy how... That's what they teach you growing up, and then it really all comes back to that, for me at least. But no, I appreciate the time, and, and it, it was really cool being able to talk about this, especially now that I don't have a bit of a corporate umbrella over me. I could be a bit more direct and honest, because before I would talk about a lot, but I still had to watch what my reputation was in the company I worked for, and now that I don't have to do that anymore, I think it's, it's comforting to be able to express myself in an avenue like this. Um, so thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. So. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so happy that I could uh, hear your story and, and help you um, spread it to, to the world. Uh, so if people want to contact you or have more questions, want to reach out, are you open to that? I am 100%. Um, and I've, I've been very vocal about that too, that like, uh, if people want to reach out, I have no problem talking, uh, even random people. And I've, I've, I've actually had, you know, recently one of my old leaders referred me to one of their friends to talk about them that I never even met before. Um, the amount that people have helped me, I feel obligated to help others, to be honest, not that I wouldn't do it anyways, but um, I, I am very open. Um, and again, I think Instagram is always the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, it's really the only social media I use, but I use it a lot. Um, and I'm easy to find uh, Chris underscore K underscore Proctor uh, or at the Red Dynasty. Um, both are easy to find. And uh, I'm active on them all the time. Reach out and just, you know, explain themselves and, and why they're reaching out. And then we can go from there. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at Stomp the Stigma YYC. And you can email me at Stomp the Stigma YYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.